This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Mike Missanelli Podcast. We're doing this on Tuesday, January 2nd. We are in a new year, 2024. So happy new year uh, to everybody out there. And uh, hopefully your New Year's Eve wasn't ruined that much by the topic we're about to talk about. Now, uh, this has been a couple days coming. So we've had a couple days now to process what the Eagles did on Sunday, which is to lose to the lowly Arizona Cardinals and one of the most embarrassing losses you're ever going to see. And uh, today we're a little more resolute than reactionary because we've kind of come to a conclusion here that the Eagles certainly aren't what they, uh, we thought they were, and they're not going to be what we thought they could be as we move on with this season. Yes, they are in the playoffs, but by losing on Sunday, they have most likely put themselves into a five seed which means they have to play a game on the road. Now, depending on who they play on the road, they could very easily get bounced in the first round. And I want you to think about that for a second. From where this season began and the hopes that it brought when they won 10 of their first 11 games and the one loss was a fluke, to where we are now, where we're talking about them as a fifth seed, having to go to somebody else's ballpark and possibly lose. Now, they're going to play a division winner. That division winner is mediocre, whether it's the Buccaneers, whether it's the Packers, whether whoever it is, the Buccaneers right now are, or the Saints, they're tied with the Saints at eight and eight. And, and frankly, I, I think that they could lose to either one of those teams uh, in their home ballpark. So, like, I don't even care who it is at this point, whether it's the Bucs or the Saints. Uh, I, I care where the season has kind of disintegrated into. Uh, now, this is clearly a team that's coming apart at the seams. They have lost four of their last five. And um, the disintegration of this team is almost hard to believe. So the only way to deal with it is to kind of go back in time and try to figure out how this whole thing disintegrated. Um, Yes, we got sucked into believing that they were the elite team in the NFC. Forget about one of the best teams in the NFC. We thought this was the number one team in the NFC that could chart their course through the playoffs as the number one seed, getting a bye and playing every one of their playoff games at home. And boy, has that changed. Um, The the joke was on us, as it turned out, because we kept denying, and I did too, uh, I looked at a team like, well, they they do good enough to win. There's something to be said about a team that does well enough to win because they could very easily stumble. I'm looking all around the league. These supposed good teams are losing every week. The Eagles kept trudging along, boom, boom, boom. No matter how pretty it was, they still won games. So we got sucked into that saying this this is a winning character this team has. And it doesn't matter if they blow out teams. But what we did overlook was some of the warts um, that they were winning games by the skin of their teeth. And we didn't look at the problems. We looked at the end result. 
And that's on us because we're smarter than that. We very rarely get conned in this city when we look at a team. We really understand the merits on how good they really are. We also understand when a team is BSing us. And I didn't see it this Eagles team was BSing us until obviously when they got destroyed and had their heart taken away from them by the San Francisco 49ers. That was the game that exposed the Eagles to what they are. And then, of course, the following week that they got demolished. And now they're just trying to put together a season with tape and string and Elmer's freaking glue. And, and you can't do that at this point of the year. They are what they are, and they're going to lose in the playoffs, whether it's the first round or whether it's the second round, because the second round has them playing the 49ers in San Francisco. There can't be an Eagle fan on earth who think that that's possible, that they're going to go, this team, with their defense the way it is in shambles, is going to go to San Francisco and hold the 49ers to less than 30 points to win. That is not going to happen. So they lost to the Cardinals 35-34. to And before we break down what has really happened to this team in the overall, uh, let's do the autopsy on the uh, one of the most disappointing losses you're going to see in Eagle history. I mean, let's face it. it, It's that dramatic of a loss. It's an embarrassing loss. Uh, And let's get to the nitty gritty. We already know that the Eagles led the game 21 to six at halftime and they didn't play well. They were getting dominated at the line of scrimmage in the first half. And they still had a 21 to 6 lead. Now, was there anybody on earth who thought that they could disintegrate to the point where the Cardinals, a team that came into this game with three wins, a team that had terrible offensive and defensive metrics, were going to score four straight touchdowns in the second half? You couldn't have you could have drawn up that script. It would have been foolish. It would have been outlandish. And yet, that's what happened. Um, so what happens now, the, the, let's, let's just push forward because we already know what the numbers were. The Cardinals had 429 total yards. This is the Cardinals I'm talking about now. All right. 429, 221 rushing with James Conner running through them like uh, a wave runner, uh, on the CIO Bay, uh, the time of possession in this game was 40 to 20. The plays were 72 for the Cardinals to 46 for the Eagles. But let's get to the part where it was actually tied at 28 to 28. Because even watching the Cardinals score four straight touchdowns, you still, or, or three at that point, you still thought uh, the Eagles aren't going to lose this game, right? So the Cardinals with the 27th ranked offense had 32 first downs in this game. Kyler Murray completed 80% of his passes with three touchdowns. It's the ninth time now that the Eagles have built on a double-digit lead at some point during a game. They won two of those nine times that they had a double-digit lead in games. Uh, Through week 10, the Eagles had the number one defense in the NFL. They were allowing 60 yards per game on the ground. Since then, 153 yards per game, 4.8 yards per carry. Okay, uh, I think we have fleshed out every little tidbit. So now let's pick up uh, how they got there in the first place. Well, first of all, let's not let's not do that. Let, let's go over let's go over the bad stuff, okay? Because at 28 to 28, we need to kind of look at this. Now, 28 to 28, 
came on a Murray to Wilson touchdown on fourth and four where they beat Keely Ringo. And now this is an example of what the Eagles have done with their defense. They throw in guys out of desperation that aren't really ready to play. They've used aford market parts to throw in. And they this discombobulation of a defense by tacking on players without regard to their to their bonding as a as a whole on defense has really kind of cost them. So now it's 28 to 28. Um, they try an onside kick. Now, I know a lot of people thought that was strategic. I thought it was foolish because you know, you're playing the Eagles to a hilt. To me, there was no need for desperation there trying an onside kick. So what they did was they gave the Eagles supreme field position with that onside kick. Now, a good team like the Eagles should have stuffed that right up their keister and came right back down with a short field score touchdown to take command of the game again. What happened? That's the way we live it. This is painful. So, you know, if you need to take a sedative right now, please do. I'll wait like 10 seconds. All right. They get to the Cardinals 20. 440, 423 is left in the game. Mylotta has a penalty that pushes them back to the 30. Two straight Hertz carries are called. And finally, a screen pass to Kenneth Gainwell that has 180-pound Devontae Smith as the lead blocker, which they've done several times this year, and each time they do it, it never works. Uh, Now, do you have to be a rocket science to figure out that that's not the play you should call there? Like, what do they think they're going to get out of that play? They've already squeezed that lemon dry to the point now where Devontae Smith gets hurt on the play. They don't convert the first down. They have to settle for a field goal. The Eagles then let the Cardinals come right back down the field and score a touchdown with 32 seconds left to take a 35-31 lead with a James Conner plunge. Seven plays. 70 yards, the Cardinals take it down the field. All right. That's the ugly details of how that game ended. Now let's break it down. The defense of this team has turned into a joke. Uh, an amalgam of, of replacement parts, uh, whether discarded from other teams. I mean, we know the discards, the Byards, the Robies, the, the Shaq Leonards, all these discarded guys that they thought they were, they, they put themselves in such a desperate situation. They had to bring those people in to th- and, and con themselves into thinking that, that was going to work. All right. That, that's a um, young players who they didn't play early in the season, who now they throw in, and they still don't know what a rotation is. They got this guy in for a series. They got this other guy in a series. This guy's playing a slot. This guy's playing safety, and he's moving the corner. They have no idea what to do. They're scrambling around, and Patricia is trying to do something with the defense to salvage what they have, and he's making it worse. It's, it's, it's laughable. I can't, I can't imagine an NFL team that was supposed to be the number one team in this, in this conference has now resorted to this kind of, let's throw a dart at the wall type of defense. All right. The Eagles coaching staff. Uh, let's look at the Eagles coaching staff. And, and uh, well, for, first, let, let's, look at the, uh, let's look at the front's four. Because the front four is supposed to be their foundation, right? Everything is based on, on them. 
Like they, they had the number one defense stop and run early in the season. That's because they had some bulls in there. It is clearly evident that the bulls they've had in there at defensive tackles, including the young dudes, uh, Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter, have hit a wall. Fletcher Cox is now, he's at the end of his career as it is. They milked a couple of plays out of him all season, but he, he's got nothing left. And so, and, and neither does Brandon Graham. And I know everybody loves Brandon Graham and everybody loves Fletcher Cox and they get sentimental that they had to have him back. There's no way that either of those guys could be back next year as you turn the page on this. Now let's look at their defensive ends. Uh, has Josh Schwett been in town? I, I, haven't heard, I haven't seen a play that he's made since Halloween. He is totally lost out there. And Reddick who is playing now, he's so desperate for a sack, he's playing undisciplined football. Now, to say nothing of the fact that in their alignment, they've had him dropping in coverage way too much instead of just firing him to the quarterback. The whole thing is a mess. Uh, so now let's go deeper, because we talked about this, and we're going to bring Darren in here in a second. And, and he called this way back when it happened. At this stage of the season, what in their right mind did they think was going to happen when they made a transition to demote a defensive coordinator for a new guy this late in the season? What did they think that could do to a team? Did they not think that that move there was going to introduce panic in the locker room? Did they not think that players would go, oh, man, oh, no. You know, uh oh, seriously, how do you, do you deal with grown men and you don't think that that's going to have an effect? Now, people are going to say to me, well, the Bills did it. The Bills changed their coordinator, their offensive coordinator, pretty early in the season when they were really struggling. So earlier in the season, maybe you get away with it. Late in the season, when you've just got pounded by two elite teams, you're telling your team, oh my God, we're in panic mode. How is that good? For a football team. All right. Let's move on to management. I do believe that the move to change defensive coordinators was a move that was dictated by the owner, Jeffrey Lurie. Do I have any concrete evidence of that? No. But I've seen it before. He's done it before. He is, as I've said before, Ed Snyder without the visible red ass. That's what he is behind the scenes because he just knows enough not to know anything. And he goes by analytics and he goes by reaction. And I guarantee you that after they got embarrassed by the two elite teams in the NFC, he put the orders out to Howie, who then put it down to the puppet Nick Sirianni, get rid of Desai, let's move on with somebody else. There's no question in my mind that happened. And I'm shocked that any reporters have not uncovered that yet. But even if it didn't happen that way, even if it was a Sirianni call, what does that say about Sirianni? Is he a coach who is savvy enough to read the tea leaves? Did he not think that would have caused this kind of confusion among the ranks of his players? And I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt here because I don't think he made the decision. Now let's get to the general manager who everybody was so sweet on. It's amazing how everybody just loved and worshipped Howie Roseman early in this season for putting together a team <coughs> that was good enough to be 10-1. and one. And now look, 
Now examine the moves under a microscope. Examine what they did from last year's team to try to outsmart themselves. C.J. Gardner-Johnson goes. Now, I'm not that big of a fan of him, but he brought attitude at least. He was one of those guys that gave you a little spunk. T.J. Edwards, again, disregarding the linebacker position, as T.J. Edwards is going on to be a productive player somewhere else. Gone. They had to sign both corners at the expense of one of those guys. As it turned out, that was probably the wrong move. And then taking guys off the street because you haven't prepared any younger guys to take over. Uh, It it is just amazing to me what has happened to this team and how management has allowed this to happen. So let's bring in Darren. Uh, Darren, I know you feel that way also about the administration, and you believe the administration is majorly responsible for this decline. Yeah, it's, it's here's the thing. Like, this is not the first time we've seen this type of dysfunction where the coordinators and the head coach don't seem to be in agreement, um, where the – the, the problems that we, we hear about this team. First of all, I want to ask you this, because I think not enough attention, as I've told you, is coming on the owner and the general manager and even the head coach. And we'll let's work our way up, okay? Let's start with Nick. I like Sirianni. I really do. I like that he is the type of head coach that delegates as opposed to a head coach that's very hands-on with everything, all the play calling, whatever. I think that's the best way to coach in the NFL. The problem with that is if you have good coordinators, they're eventually going to move on, which is what happens. Okay. The, but the real problem with Nick is this team's falling apart right before our eyes. It's happening on the sidelines. They can't get plays in. This is two weeks in a row where there is obvious screaming matches and arguments between players and coaches. It is the head coach's responsibility to get control of that. And it gets worse. It's gotten worse every week. Let's move up to the general manager, who we all know is in on meetings with scheme, with what they want to do, with their philosophies, with how they want to run the defense, and the, and the, and the um, worship of Vic Fangio, and the ignorance of an entire level of the defense. They have ignored the second level of the defense for years. They finally had a couple of young guys, a real good young guy playing middle linebacker. He goes, some team gives him $6 million, which isn't a whole lot of money, for the guy that wears the green dot on the helmet, who's supposed to be the quarterback. They said, no, that's too much money. Let him go. He's having a good year. I think he's in Denver. And then you have an owner. And I have to ask you this, Mike. Like, when did Laurie become a meddling owner, do you think? Did it start with I think he's always. I think he's always been. I think he's always been a meddling owner behind the scenes. You can't convince me otherwise. There have been other things that that have uh, uh, transpired over yeah. the years with Jeffrey Lurie, where he's got his fingerprints yeah. on it, but but he somehow manages to duck out and let Howie be the front man for the whole thing. I don't think there's any question that Jeffrey Lurie, this was a Jeffrey Lurie call to replace defensive coordinator. I, 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 I'm partial to that as well. I think the general manager has a lot to do with it too. I just, you know, some GMs, like the most successful GMs in history that I, I'm aware of, selected players and let the coaches coach the players. 
What this team hasn't done this year, and the best coaches in the at the pro level do this, they take they cater their personnel or tailor their person their scheme to the personnel on the roster. This team is at best when they run the ball. And I know that Jalen had a, a, an MVP type season last year. And I know they got a legitimate A uh, in a receiver in AJ Brown and an A one in, in Devontae Smith and a good pass catching tight end. But this team is built to run the ball. And I'm not one of those guys that they got to run the ball more, run the ball more. That's not what I'm saying. This team isn't schemed to run the ball. This team runs six plays out of four or five different formations. And they continue to struggle with situational football. This is this goes weighs heavy on the, on the head coach. And the head coach is starting to get some heat. We're past the coordinators. We all know we know what they are. And for the third year in a row next season, they're going to have a new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator. There's no question about it. So the head coach is starting to get some heat. And again, I like him. I like the I like the way he coaches in a lot of ways, but he is clearly like it's a it's a cliche. You've lost the team, lost the rock locker room. I, I'm not saying that, but he has certainly lost control of something because week after week, these screaming matches, this it was 40 seconds that one play they couldn't get in the ball. They're running personnel on and off the field. Coaches are barking at each other. Like, this is truly dysfunctional. And that kind of stuff starts, A, with distractions. Distractions derail seasons. I've told you this for months. And the other thing is when there are too many cooks in the kitchen. And that's what's happening. The owner's involved. The general manager's involved. These guys should not be involved with scheme, with with production meetings on Tuesdays, the most successful teams, these guys don't do that. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, I have been told by many people in the know that along all these years, since he bought into the analytics, Jeffrey Lurie, and he is uh, obviously from, from the jump is a believer that passing wins in this game and not running. And you blend those two things out. And I've been told that in previous, even wins in seasons past, there would be conferences where the owner would say, yeah, we won, but how come we were running the ball too much? That's not really the way you can consistently That's win. Uh, uh, and also the analytics say X. So this is the type of owner he's been, and he can't con anybody no. now uh, by, by just staying in the background and not being a Jerry Jones about the right. whole thing. But let's look, even if we have just discredited the owner and general manager and we blame them for their part in this whole thing, let's look at Sirianni. He's got a 21 to six lead at halftime. At that point in the third quarter, the owner general manager ain't got nothing to do with it. Right. And so it is all on the coach now to manage the game the rest of the way. And how did he manage it? He watched the Cardinals blast him for four straight touchdowns. That's how he managed. Now a head coach should be able to stop the bleeding with a team like the Cardinals. Three-win team with three, three opening day starters playing uh, on Sunday. They didn't punt. Mike, the punter didn't. The, the, the Cardinals punter never walked on the field. It is, I got to be honest with you. And, and listen, I know he had 10-1 and one immunity. But uh, Nick Sirianni doesn't nearly get enough blame. Uh, this, is a, this is a town that blames coaches heavy after games. Now, Andy Reid took a lot of crap 
Game after game oh, after game, even though he had a great record, we were always ready to blame Andy Reid. Yeah. We were always ready to blame Doug Peterson. This guy, somehow, we're not ready to blame yet. But I think he has taken, he, he deserves a lot of the blame for how this season has disintegrated. Yeah. So now let's look ahead and let's just, let's just fathom what could be here. The most optimistic Eagle fan will say, wow, they'll finally play their best game somewhere along the line. No, no, maybe it's next week against the Giants. Who knows? Could they get beat by the Giants next week? The way they're playing, certainly they could get beat. I don't think they'll get beat. But let's just say they play just balls out against the Giants. And they go into the playoffs with a little bit of a head of steam. And then they win their first game against an inferior team in their building. Is there any way that you think this fan base could be brought back into the optimistic ring? I mean, the homers will be. There's a lot of homers out there that still. You think there's a homer left after what they've witnessed? I, yeah, I do. I I think the Eagle fan base has has changed a lot over the last ten years. Uh, a lot. It's you know the younger cats. They don't. They don't know. They don't know, Mike. They don't know about the lean years. They don't know the buddy. Even before Buddy got there, the playoff droughts. Even with Buddy, you know uh, how weird it was with Marion Campbell. How weird it was with Ray Rhodes. This fan base is is a lot younger, and that's okay. That's what they they they've had a lot more success, and good for them. <laughs> they didn't suffer like me or you. Uh, but I, yeah, I think there's a few. I'm telling you right now, I, I don't care who they play in the playoffs. They're one and done. They're one and done. Oh, you so you believe that they will not win their first they round game in, no at New Orleans or at Tampa? I really, I mean, they're not going to be Tampa. They're going to lose to Baker Mayfield. I, I don't. I, I don't think they. I mean, they they might beat the Saints. Maybe it depends. Well, on you their just said they're not going to win their first round game. No, yeah, I'm not going to be confident. I'm picking them to lose. Oh, I'm not you, you just I'm, I'm saying, oh, oh, this is where I'm going to pin you down. You make an Atlanta statement and then you don't no, back not, it. You're right. You yeah. said they're going to lose in the first round game no well, matter who they play. I just said okay, that means they're going to lose at Tampa Bay or at New Orleans. So what is it? They're going to lose wherever they go. They're going to okay. lose. I'm sorry. All right. I hate to say it, but they're going to lose. Uh, I, I, uh, I think it's going to be Tampa. I'm going to give you my most optimistic spin. My, opti- my, 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 my most optimistic spin is they beat the Giants in the last game of the year. Uh, and that game is now a 425 game. Uh, and then they beat whoever it is they play on the road. And at least we'll get well, yeah, so they can get trucked by San Francisco. Yeah, it's not going to even be fun because <laughs> they're going to lose in the second round really badly. And all that does is make this season a sixer season, a second round exit. Oh, and how no. do we deal with those second round you exits? We don't deal with them very well. <laughs> no. All right. Oh, no. uh, that that'll conclude. <laughs> The dissertation over Sunday's debacle, or the debacle, debacle, the cause. There you go, <laughs> debacle. Did I just say debacle? <laughs> we had a <laughs> debacle uh, against the uh, Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, that'll uh, and that and now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for around the NFL. Not that we even care about what happened in the NFL, but there are a couple of notable things. That happened in the NFL. Uh, let's look first at the car at the uh, Lions and Cowboys game. 
it's funny how now we didn't even care. We look back, we don't care about the result. But we were kind of invested in that result because it looked like we would root for the Cowboys in that game. So the Lions would lose a game and the Eagles would still get that number two seed instead of the number three seed. And it looks like the Lions have the game one on a, on a, a miraculous play where they had a tackle eligible to get a two-point conversion to win the game. All of a sudden, the officials come in, blah, 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 and then, now there's this controversy on whether the tackle, uh, both two of them, went over to the official, which one reported it as eligible. Here's what I think happened. Because, you know, it's funny, because the telecast showed the video at the end, and they didn't, they didn't even, like, d- discuss that. Like, two guys went over. By that, you can presume that maybe both of them said, no, I'm eligible, or this one's eligible, I'm not. Uh, there was no commentary that, that, that explained that whole thing, why those two guys were over there. Um, here's what I think happened. I think Detroit tried to pull a fast one. I think they sent two guys over there, and the one guy that was going to be tackle eligible is not the guy that said, I'm eligible. I think it was the other guy that said it, trying to confuse the officials and trying to confuse the other team, and that enabled them to pull off that play. What was your read on that play, Darren? I have the exact same read as you, particularly because the guy – all right, so 68 had reported eligible all game. Every single time they reported tackle eligible, it was number 68. Uh, number 70 happened to walk over at the same time with the ref. They're both kind of there. He tells them, he, whatever, they might have said 70, might have said 68. The ref, it's, you know, there's 100,000 people in that stadium. He hears whatever, uh, probably assumes it's 68 again. They throw it to 70 on the China in the end zone. So, uh, yeah, I think they tried to pull a fast one. Absolutely, and they got burnt for it. Uh, and, and, and so they got their pick, pick, their pants down yeah. because they erased it, and then they get a penalty to push them back. Yeah. Now, this is where the Dan Campbell thing comes in, Mr. Macho. Uh, you knew he was going to go for two there. He flexes his muscles all game long. He flexes his muscles in public. He flexes his muscles in team meetings, that whole thing. He's just one of those type of guys. Uh, once you get a penalty, it knocks you back to the seven. Why would you consider going for two? Why would you want to lose the game? The, the odds of you at the seven getting that two-point conversion are very slim. Why at that point would you just not kick the PAT and trust your team, who, who you're playing like that, them straight up pretty well, why wouldn't you just trust them in overtime? Was that a reflection of Dan Campbell being a super macho meathead? Well, I well... – I, I always said, I told you earlier, I think that uh, if Sirianni and Campbell faced off in the playoffs, it would be the bonehead bowl. But uh, he, a lot of coaches are, are overly are aggressive these days, but not from the seven. That's just a bad, that's just a bad move. That's just a bad, you, you're, you're not being responsible as a head coach in that situation. All right. So it's the overly macho yeah. bonehead. Yeah. All right. Meathead. Meathead. There you go. Dan Campbell's the definition Knuckle of meathead. Not, not that it hasn't worked so far. I think it's got a shelf life, but it's working that, so far. That, and the Lions may be a tough out in the playoffs. Yeah, that shtick only goes so far, as you know. Yeah. It eventually wears out. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, next, Panthers owner David Tepper. He's had a lot of problems with that team. Can't find a head coach. They're always discombobulated. Uh, he's, he's one of these uh, uh, nouveau rich guys that now – come into sports uh, that uh, really change the landscape of uh, like they have this license to be obnoxious because they're rich and, you know, entitled. And, and so um, he throws a drink at a fan. who was, I guess, heckling him. 
And now, <laughs> listen, I, I would love to throw drinks at fans. That's me. Like, I'm Mike Masnelli. I'm an idiot. He's the owner of a football team. You can't throw a drink at a fan. <laughs> like, what is he possibly thinking? Yeah, and the previous owner flipped the bird at somebody, right? Like, these guys, these new owners that come into play here uh, do not understand that they can't act like entitled spoiled brats who own the team. Yeah, back in 2009, by the late Bud Adams for the Titans flipped a bird at a Bills fan. And the league fined him a quarter of a million dollars. And that's what? I'm losing track of years. Five years ago, or 15 years ago, whatever it is. Uh, so he's going to get banged for a nice uh, chunk of change. All right. Uh, Baltimore Ravens have a juggernaut. Oh, my God. You were uh, on them early, dude. You were on them real early before they were. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're so well coached year after year. They play the same way. They 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 hit you in the mouth consistently. They they never allow for any kind of slip off on their style of play. And so, most likely, I mean, if you can read the tea leaves here, this certainly to me looks like a a Ravens Forty Nine ers Super Bowl. My question to you is, who will be favored in that game? Oh, that's a great question. I I think it'll be Baltimore two and a half. It's not going to be. You're not going to give either team three. Baltimore did kind of punch him in the mouth in their stadium, so I think they'll be the favorite because of that. Uh, I want to add, like I said, that you were on. There's two teams you were on early this year, and both of them. Well, one's going to play the national championship game. That's Washington, uh, and Baltimore's the other team. They look like. Uh, they're poised for the Super Bowl. So uh, kudos to you being on both those teams from very early on this year. Uh, last thing on um, around the NFL has nothing to do with the NFL. It has to do with college football bowl games. I don't know what could be done about this as far as the guys opting out now. You've uh, allowed the kids to not play in a bowl game for fear of injury or for, for the sake that they're going to transfer and go into the transfer portal and all that kind of thing. And it has really thrown uh, college football bowl games into a tizzy, uh, in addition to the, what the NAIL and the, and the transfer portal ha- have already done. Um, how do you stop an op-out in a, in a bowl game? Uh, is it going to be a 12-team playoff next year? It'll be interesting to see if those guys opt out when they're still in contention for a national championship. A lot of guys are going to go into the draft played in that final four that we just witnessed. It's going to end with Michigan playing Washington for the national championship. So maybe that's, that's the guard against the opt-outs when more teams will be involved in trying to win a national championship. But if that doesn't work, how else do you do it? And an idea came to my head here. Could you structure in a national letter of intent that when you sign with a team that um, if you opt out of a bowl game, which is part of the whole package, you have to be available to play all these games. And we're giving you this scholarship and we're giving you this money. And now it's pay for play that we can then withhold pay from you or have you actually pay your own tuition for that last season that you're playing, that you opt out of the bowl game. Now that would be challenged in court. It would probably never fly. Never. Yeah. But would that be a solution? It's hard for me to look for a solution because I can't blame these kids. I really don't. Um, and plus, if you do that, Mike, you're going to have a lot of guys uh, coming up with, you know, 
hamstring injuries at the end of the season. And, oh, I twisted my ankle. It really hurts. I don't think I can go. So, and, you know, at that point, what are you going to do? So I think there are ways around. There's not a whole lot you can do. I think maybe you, you're you on to something with um, structuring your letter of intent. Uh, but you have to leave some sort of a way out for these kids. I really don't blame any of them for if they, unless they're playing in a really big bowl game, if they want to, if they want to opt out. I mean, who the hell? I don't blame have, anybody. Opt out of the holiday bowl. I, I, I don't blame anybody who's a first round draft pick. Yeah. Well, you don't yeah, see many, to me, like, it, it, it doesn't make like if you're a no brainer draft pick, then you risk injury, and I get it. Uh, but what has made you? That viable to be a first-round draft pick is the years that you've shown as a college player. So it's a double-edged sword for me. It's the Mike Nussanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the Mike Nussanelli Podcast continues, and we're going to take a little detour here and put some smiles on your face, hopefully. Uh, our next guest is a great story. His name is Holden Barter. He's a, he's a kid from Newtown who is now going to make it big uh, in the Nashville country music scene. And what we're going to do for you today is we're going to give you a little sample of Holden, who did an Eagles song. Now, here's the way the story works. Before we, First of all, hello, Holden. How you doing? How you doing? It's, it's great to see you, Mike, and, and thanks for having me on. This is so cool. <laughs> uh, it, uh, our pleasure. Uh, what you did was, uh, uh, you, you, first of all, you're a country music guy. And you're trying to make it big. And I have no doubt that you're making it big. I heard the song, and we're going to play it for the people in a little uh, a, a little bit. But you grew up in Newtown, PA. Your whole family is from northeast Philly in Holmesburg. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 of course, you went to Newtown Friends School, which is haughty, George School, which is haughty, Lafayette College. And then you transfer to Belmont University in Nashville. Obviously, Nashville is the, is the country music scene. Uh, and and you have uh, you're going to pursue a career in country music. How did you get the affection for country music growing up in Newtown with Northeast Philly Holmesburg roots? Well, I'll tell you what, it definitely is not the cookie cutter uh, layout that you usually see coming from Nashville. But I was actually born in Houston. So I remember sitting in the backseat of my mom's SUV and she would blast Garth Brooks and George Strait, and my dad would play it, and we'd go to the rodeo sometimes. So that little two years of what I spent as a baby in Houston, I guess, stuck with me. I don't know. I've always loved the storytelling of country music, too, and I actually lost touch with it for a long time. It wasn't until high school, until I started listening to all those old songs I did as a little kid. I was like, oh, man, I remember these songs, and I fell in love with songwriting, kind of got into it, started coming to Nashville, and before you know it, now I live here. So it's it's uh, been great so far, and uh, yeah, I, it, it's definitely not uh, the traditional country music path that you would uh, expect, you know, but it, it definitely has been an awesome ride so far. All right, so, so from Houston, how did you get back up this way? Your family obviously is from here, but how did you guys get to Newtown? They were down there just for business. Um, my family moved to Newtown, um, Yardley, Marsville area, Langhorn. Um, I, oh, my gosh years ago in the 90s so we've my parents have lived all over so they i think they had 20 houses before i was even born so but they've they've kind of traveled all over bucks county and uh landed in newtown that's where my dad's at now and uh so it's 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 cool you know being from the area in philly and then coming to nashville and being like wow like 
Like, there's other people here that get it. You know, I've met so many Eagles fans in Nashville, and they're like, oh, dude, you're from you're from Bucks County. I'm like, I'm from Bucks County, you know, and, and I've met people from Northeast, too, you know. my it's, it's crazy. There's a lot of Eagles fans down here, so it's uh, it's been great. But that's a little bit about, you know, my background. <laughs> now, 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 George School is a pretty uh, exclusive boarding school, and I know a lot of celebrities send their friends there. Like Michael Douglas's kid went to George School. A lot of celebrities. When, when you were at George School, any, any celebrities there? No, but my friend Edwin – uh, who was a classmate of mine, he's actually, Simon Cowell ended up signing him to a band called Pretty Much, uh, and he left my junior year. So he was my classmate in English class, and uh, so he's off in L.A. doing his thing. So he's the only one I can think of comes off the top of my head. But <laughs> All right, This is awesome. So so uh, let's let's play the song first, because you, you record a song uh, which is Eagles-oriented about uh, you, or the, or the the person in the song, falling for a Dallas Cowboy lady. Yes, <laughs> and she she somehow gets converted. She to, does to, a, to be an Eagles fan. She does, <laughs> which is a great premise. Now, what is the song called? It's called Go Birds. Easy enough to remember. It's called Go Birds. All right, Darren, can, can we can we play a little Go Birds right now? All right, go ahead. Cowboys are sure gonna miss her. I hate to break it to him, she looking better in green. Tomorrow she was planning on leaving, but she don't wait. Changed her philosophies. Was it the fans? Was it the lights? Could be my arm wrap around her all night. I knew she was the one when she said the words, not the words you might think. Oh man, she said go birds. Ah, right, that is awesome. And uh. <laughs> I put a, put a smile on my face. How did you get this to the attention of the Eagles? Because it caught it caught some fire. I, I, you, you put it out on Instagram or whatever, and somehow the Eagles uh, heard it. And, and what, what was their response to it? Well, they commented on my Instagram reel. I posted one video of the song teasing it. I'm like, hey, if there was a Dallas Cowboys fan that falls in love with an Eagles fan and never goes back to Texas, check this out. And then it was like the most informal thing. And uh, – so many players saw it. The Eagles commented. They said, they literally said, playing this on repeat. So I was like, all right, I got to put it out now. I can't not put this thing out. So, But the, the storyline is just awesome. I, I was like, how do I make so fast, or actually backtrack. Two years ago, I put out a song called Stone Harbor. Um, my whole family spent their summers in Wildwood and down the shore, and then they moved to Stone Harbor, and so I grew up going both the Wildwood and Stone Harbor. So I put out a song called Stone Harbor, and everyone there loved it. It was cool. I love it. And I was like, how do I get, you know, Philly going? You know, that was just Jersey, South Jersey. I'm like, how do I get the whole city behind, you know, something awesome? And and I thought of the Go Bird song. And I was like, why not make it about Dallas and, you know, a big kind of, you know, subtle middle finger to get to Dallas. Who doesn't love a friendly rivalry, you know? But uh, no, no shout out to Dallas. I love all my Texas fans. Um, you yeah, know, who doesn't love a friendly rivalry, right? And so the song kind of, you're taking the girl. You know, from them, and she falls in love with the Eagles fan, and, and you know why wouldn't she? You know, so yeah, and, and, she, and she shifts her loyalties completely to the Philadelphia Eagles. It's a it's a great premise. Fictional, uh, but, but actually, the comments though, you know, there are a lot of Cowboys Eagles couples out there that I'm learning. So, all right. So, well, how long have you been playing? I mean, when did you start? You play obviously you play guitar. Yes, so I, I, I write songs, I play guitar, I sing. So I I moved to Nashville in 2019. I started playing 
music in 2013 as a hobby. Um, I actually was a tennis player. I try to play as much as I can, but I found a blue guitar-shaped paperclip on top of my tennis bag during a match one day. And I was like, how the heck did that get there? I took it as a sign from the universe to start playing. And it wasn't until I think my freshman year of college, yeah, at Lafayette, before I transferred to Belmont here in Nashville, where I started posting a little bit. And, and people were like, hey, you should post more and start singing more. I was like, all right, cool. So I started doing that. I started coming to Nashville. I met a, a manager who helped me for a long time. She's, she was great, Jordan, and um, started coming down here for songwriting. And, and before you know it, I ended up transferring to Belmont University for music business here. I worked at a record label, and um, now we're doing it full time. So it, it's been a crazy journey. <laughs> It really is. This is a, such a cool story. We're talking to uh, Holden Barter, who uh, is a, a, a you know a Philly area kid who spent all the summers at the Jersey Shore. His uh, family was uh, originally from Northeast Philly. His uh, his uncle Ed uh, Ed Macklin is the Quaker City String Band uh, in the Quaker City String Band. Uh, you performed in the Barefoot Country Music Fest in Wildwood with your band from Nashville. This is a tough road for people that want to make it in this industry, especially, you know, Nashville is, is just uh, overrun with people who have your kind of dreams. So where do you stand right now? Um, do you have an agent? Like, what's the next move for you to break through? You're 25 years old, so I, you got a lot of time, I assume. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I, last summer at Barefoot was awesome. I would love to do it again this summer, too. And uh, You know, for me, uh, we, we're just about to secure a management deal with a company here in town, so that should definitely help. Um, I've met so many great songwriters and, and folks here in town. I have an excellent network of folks that I've, I've built trust with um, who are definitely pushing me along the right path and whispering in my ear. And it, it's been an amazing ride, um, you know, and not only to, you know, go to school for music business, but to also, you know, work at a record label. Actually, after I graduated, I ended up working as a marketing manager um, at an entertainment firm here in Nashville. Uh, to gain that experience. And I was originally a client of theirs and Tim, the owner, shout out to Tim Gray. Uh, he ended up hiring me and said, Hey, why don't you get the experience working with us selling tickets, you know, on our end and, you know, we'll hire you. So you get the experience and you can learn instead of, you know, working with us as a client. And that was a great experience. So I've, I've kind of built up all these little different pools of experiences. And now I'm kind of throwing it all in one pot and be like, all right, let's do this thing as an artist. And, um, it's it's been great. I so this year, you know, I, I'm dropping the Go Bird song January 12th. I've got a lot more that's coming. I, I want to put out an EP this summer. I want to play festivals. I want to tour hop in, in the fall. There's a lot I want to do. And uh, but I know with the city like Philly and with fans like Philly, you know, you can do anything. And um, you know, Philly's got your back. And you know what's so funny? I was on with a, a fan E Rock last night. Um, and uh, he's a notable Eagles fan. And yeah, I know E Rock. We were talking about we were talking about how uh, you know some artists. I don't know if you noticed, but like you know, artists will go to different cities and stadiums and wear the different jerseys of whatever city they're in. And I'm like, I can't do that as an Eagles fan. I'm sorry. You can do that with any other team, but you can't do it if you're an Eagles fan. So, uh, but now it's all well and good, and and lots of big goals for this year. I'm a big kind of motivational or early morning person guy, so. You know, I'm, I'm up and at it and uh, really excited for this year ahead. and uh, It's going to be great. Listen, Holden, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, on the way out, uh, we're going to play. We're going to play it again. Go Birds. It drops January 12th. 
Uh, best of luck to you, man. And uh, it was a delight to have you on. And, and thanks for thanks for repping the Eagles. Although, like, you know, like six weeks ago, it would have been a little more enthusiastic. <laughs> All of a sudden. Well, the quickest I could get it out. So I actually had it written for two months. And the quickest I could get it out, according to Spotify and all that, was, was the 12th. And I was like, well, that's just perfect timing, isn't it? So I'm hoping that, you know, maybe, maybe it does something. Maybe it helps corral the team in the city. But I know Philly does best when the whole city's behind the sports team. And, and let's get that Super Bowl this year, man. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for it. All right, man. Uh, we appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Let's let's play a little bit. Let's play it again, Darren. Here it is. Go Birds by Holden Barter. The Cowboys are sure gonna miss her. I hate to break it to them. She looking better in green. Tomorrow she was planning on leaving. But she don't wait. Changed her philosophies. Was it the fans? Was it the lights? Could have been my arm wrapped around her all night. I knew she was the one when she said the words. Not the words you might think. Oh, man, she said go birds. It's the Mike Nicinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, man. Thanks to Holden Barter. That was pretty cool. Local kid. Bucks County kid. Uh, trying to make it big in Nashville. And I think he's got he's got the chops, and I think he's got the personality to do something. All right, it is time now for Mike Unleashed. Uh, Mike Unleashed has nothing to do with sports today. We've already, you know, listen, we're spilling our bucket here in emotions with the Eagles, so let's do something lighthearted. There was a controversy about uh, a, a young lady who uh, went to her gym, and her pants were not pants. She uh, had body paint as her pants. And when you look at it, it looks like that she's wearing pants. I mean, you you can't possibly tell that her pants are actually painted on her. But someone in the club objected to it and said that that is a violation of club rules. And and they they removed her uh, from the, the, uh, the gym. Now, Darren... Um, what, what is your, uh, I have no problem what with is it your whatsoever. <laughs> you... <laughs> well, I'm starting to think about it now well, and it's strategically painted, you, you, but you have to be strategically painted in a, in a certain she had underwear on uh, I would, or I a would bathing think, suit bottom. right. I'm she sorry. Had what? Underwear or a bathing suit bottom on it. She wasn't. Comp- oh, she, yeah, did? she did. I don't think she had anything on top, uh, I, but she had. I didn't. I didn't read that well, part. I saw the picture. I saw a picture of it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, she had- All right. Well, there you go. Um, number two. Now, this is also a, a kind of a, a. This is like a dating situation. Not really a dating situation, but it's a dilemma that I think is thought provoking. Uh, a woman went on a hinge date, and uh, she went into the guy's bathroom. Uh, the, apartment went into the, the guy's bathroom and she found all these fancy skincare and hair products in the bathroom and she videoed it and turned it into a a tiktok the the woman's name was claire she's a content creator and she met this anonymous man on hinge and they end up at his uh, apartment in new york city uh, in the video that she she put out there she uh, discovered uh, in, in the man's bathroom cabinet um, three lavish uh, Le Labo Santal 26 candles placed elegantly on top of the toilet. 
she uh, squealed at the decadent decorations around the bathroom before scanning her smartphone camera to the shower, which featured a trendy Jolie filtered shower head. The Jolie filtered shower head is designed to filter water to be gentler on a person's hair and also to uh, to filter out impurities from the water that may go on someone's hair. The cost for this uh, shower head is uh, uh, about $250. And then finally, she sees a Dyson hair dryer. For the ladies who know about the Dyson hair dryer, that retails for about $400. She then speculated on her TikTok video that either her hinge date had a secret girlfriend or that he was gay. And, and I go, why? Maybe the guy's just a metrosexual. Maybe the guy is invested in, you know, there's a lot of money in men's products anymore. And maybe the show, like, is that unusual? Is it that unusual for the guy to have these products? Or do you believe her theory, Darren? Uh, I had a roommate that had similar habits. And he was not gay. He was, you know, he's a lady, he was very much a ladies' man. Uh, my first thought was, though, is that a girl might live there often. My second thought was, isn't that a lawsuit for her to be filming someone's private res- residence? Like, that's not right. If that, if someone girl did that to me, I would never ever. No, that's, that's it's not really. It's not a lawsuit. She didn't identify the guy or anything. And even if she did, what's I a big deal? I She's not like accusing him of a crime or anything. Everything's viral these days, so uh, it's a violation. Yeah. That girl's not to be trusted ever. Never. Uh, but it, it wouldn't be anything legal. Uh, but I, I didn't really have the reaction that most people had. Most people's reaction was, oh, dude, he's got a girlfriend, girl. <laughs> we get out of there. That's her girl products. But I'm going, in this day and age, you know, guys, you know, the, what's age. marketed for guys is skincare products and hair products. I don't really think it's that unusual. Well, not that I have a Jolie shower head. Uh, yeah, that's a lot but, of money for a shower head. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, you're probably right, but um, there's definitely – a girl that frequents that place. All right. I thought it was fairly innocent, but she's a rat, that girl. Anyway, let's go on to the third and last one. I saw where the actor Robert Roman, or excuse me, uh, Richard Romanus passed away. Uh, Richard Romanus was the guy who played Jennifer Melfi's ex-husband in The Sopranos. He was a distinguished actor for a lot of years, and he passed away. His name in, in The Sopranos was Richard. You remember him, right? Well, he has a brother actor named Robert Romanus. Are you aware of Robert Romanus's best movie role? I'm sure it's in, it's in an eight it's in an eighties kind of a teen com, a real famous eighties uh, teen com, maybe the most famous of all. I, I'm sure I will know it by his face, but I can't picture him at the moment. Okay. The movie is Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And Robert Romanus played the character uh, Damone, the ticket broker. Van Halen ticket, $17. (laughs) And his little buddy was Mark Ratner, who said, hey, Rat, let me me tell you what you need to do on a date. (laughs) That's great. Uh, all right, that'll do it for Mike Unleashed today. I have one final thought before we get out of here, and it's about A.J. Brown. I'm tired of him. Listen, I know he's a great player. 
But I got into an argument with Seth Joyner about this, that um, if, if you to- what's the problem with him not talking? Because all he's going to say is something negative and, and blah, blah, blah. And I get that part of it. But the same thing applies if you don't talk. If you make, make it a point not to talk and you make it a point that you're disgruntled, you're too disgruntled to talk, that message also gets into the locker room. And it's just as poisonous. So, A.J. Brown, listen, I know we've got to live with wide receiver divas these days, but I'm focused on him not getting any blame for this. I don't care if he talks to the media. But to make it a point of not talking to the media, it's what's poisonous. Because guys look at that and go, look at A.J. Wow, he's, like, he's not happy. I guess we, we all should be unhappy. He's supposed to be one of our leaders. Blah, blah, blah. It's not good for a team. So, just say, uh, listen, we're not playing well. I'm tired of it. we got to change some things around. Or, or just escape like don't be there like don't make it a point that you're not talking to the media because that's the point he's trying to make he even went as far to say as if i have nothing i was taught if i have nothing nice to say not to say anything at all so that's just but still when you say that you're still spreading the poisonous message all right, that'll do it for today's uh, Mike Masnelli podcast. Thanks, everybody, for hanging in there. I know we were a couple days uh, uh, removed from uh, the actual game on Sunday, but had we done this, I assure you, had we done this on Sunday night, uh, you, we, it wouldn't have been productive at all. I, 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 my ass would have been redder than, uh, you know, like uh, an, app, uh, uh, an apple in a grocery yeah, store. I think I was coughing so, a lot. So uh, we waited a couple of days. We processed it. Here's the process. Process is it's not likely that they're going to do anything in the playoffs. Uh, everybody have a great rest of the day. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me on all the, uh, like, I'd love to hear your opinion on the Mike Unleashed parts of this. It's Mike at MikeMiss.com. And uh, you can also check me out on Twitter at MikeMiss25. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, have a great couple of days. We'll be back at you at the end of the week. For Darren, I'm Mike Missinelli. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Mike Missinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.